if I went to your neighborhood and I said, tell me the house of where the Christian lives on this block, would they point at your house? Do you live so differently that people go, there's just something different about that person? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sound Words podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's word. I'm Aaron Nicholson. I'm with Jesse Randolph. We're pastors here at Indian Hills Community Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, where it is still sub-freezing temperatures, seven degrees for today. The snow is not going anywhere. Nope. But uh, that's okay because Dr. Andy Burgraff is here to talk about biblical discipleship. Dr. Burgraff is Vice President of Enrollment Services and Strategic Initiatives at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. He is Assistant Professor of Christian Education there as well. And before we hit record, Dr. Burgraff, you told me you're moving into a new role of Vice President of Spiritual Formation here in June, July? Yep, that's correct. Wonderful. So you have some exciting things happening in your life. Jesse, you want to introduce the other big event in Dr. Burgraff's life here? Yeah, the, the big event in Dr. Burgraff's life is he's just released a new book, uh, the, a book called Discipleship Today, which we're going to talk about on the podcast. In fact, if I have my dates right, this released two days ago as we record, which means it'll be a brand new release when we actually drop this episode. So when you hear this, this will be a brand new book available on all the book distributors and sellers online. And I'll just start by asking you a question, Dr. Burgraff. Why did you write this book? What needs were you looking to fill within the church broadly? Uh, why a book about Christian or biblical discipleship today? Very good question. Well, thanks. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about the book and also talk about what the Lord's doing in his church and in discipleship. Really, the impetus behind writing the book um, was if you look at Christianity today, there's some major issues I think all of us would agree that the church is facing. Now, and I'm not talking about each individual church specifically, because your church has some unique characteristics. My church does as well. But if you look at the church collectively in America today, there's some serious issues going on. And uh, in the beginning of the book, I begin to look at surveys and some studies that were done recently to look at what some of those issues are. And so... One of the things I think we would all agree with is there's a, a decline of a biblical worldview uh, that we're seeing in our churches today, in our culture today. In our churches themselves, there's a lack of biblical literacy. One study I came across recently, actually less than half the people that attend church regularly read their Bible even once during the week. So Jesse, when you preach on Sunday, if if Indian Hills tracks with the rest of the trends, over half the people that are in your congregation that morning haven't cracked the Bible the entire week. That's that's terrible. That's appalling. And we talk about we want to live differently for Christ. We want to you know obey what the Bible says. Well, how can we do that if we're not even in the book? And so, so often we're starting to see these trends of what I would call a lack of Bible knowledge, a lack of studying of Scripture. Other trends also show you that there's a great decline, and a lot of the younger generation is leaving the church. And there's a number of reasons for all of this. Uh, you can't attribute everything to discipleship. But I think at one of the big core issues is the reason we're seeing these trends is 
we as churches aren't discipling our people. And so Christianity, sadly, uh, I call it this the Sunday phenomenon. Uh, Christianity today for most Christians is literally an hour on Sunday or two hours on Sunday. And when we talk about the actual studying and the preaching of God's word, that's a part of the worship service. So for many people in the pew, if that trend is correct across the board, most people, their exposure to God's word is 30, 35 minutes a week. And when you're in a spiritual battle and you're fighting against an adversary that hates you and is targeting you and you know, we're, we're trying to live for Christ 30, 35 minutes a week as an exposure to God's word is not enough. And like I said, there's different reasons for this, but I think at one of the core issues that needs to be addressed is if we did discipleship correctly in our churches, if we were actually training people up the way the Bible tells us to, a lot of these tendencies and trends would not be the case. We wouldn't see the mass exodus of people like we see. We wouldn't see a younger generation leaving our churches. We wouldn't see people that view Christianity as a 30-, 35-minute commitment once a week. They would be in their Bibles more. So when you say why the book, for a lot of years, I've been teaching in seminary discipleship, and I had a small audience of future pastors, and I would bring up these trends, bring up these issues, and challenge them, are we really discipling people today like we should, like the Bible calls us to? And so for a lot of years teaching that group of individuals, I believed it was about time to take that to a larger group, to take that to the churches today, to have our churches, biblically-based churches, look at what the Bible says about discipleship and ask the question, am I doing that today? Is the character qualities of what a disciple is, is that actually the character quality of the members of my church? Is this taking place here in our congregation? And so taking it out of the classroom, a lot of the things I've taught for a lot of years on these things, I wanted to bring it to the masses and challenge us. Are we discipling today like they did in the early church and like Jesus called us to in Scripture? Yeah, Dr. Burgraff, those are excellent reasons to write a book on biblical discipleship. And it sounds like you're not only challenging uh, the lay Christians, but also especially the pastors and the leaders Mm -hmm. who set the tone for discipleship in their churches. I like what you put on the back of your book, uh, the question, if you were to give your church a letter grade on how well they're doing with discipleship, what would it be? Um, That is a good challenge, and, and I appreciate you just drawing our attention to this subject. Uh, Speaking of discipleship, let's define some terms here. Could you help us define what is a Christian disciple? What is biblical discipleship? It's a great question. It's a, it, it's become in some circles a tired word. Um, sometimes it's a misunderstood word. I actually have a line in my book that it's become even kind of a catch all phrase from anything to a, a coffee shop meeting to a conference title to what we're doing in our churches and our homes. And so understanding what the Bible's calling us to, I think is important. And so it's a great question. I also want to highlight for us that the term disciple was not coined by Jesus. 
that term was actually used in the Greek culture up to the time of Christ. So hundreds of years before Christ even walked this earth, that term was being used. And and the term in the Greek language, the, the term disciple comes from the Greek word methetes. Uh, this isn't a Greek class, but it comes from the Greek word methetes, and it's used 260 times in the New Testament. That's where we get our word disciple from. That term used in the Greek culture meant anywhere from a follower to a pupil to a student to one who just uh, followed after a leader or a religious figure, or it's even used of those that would follow others in philosophical schools. So it's a term that was not new in Jesus's day. When Jesus said to his 12 and commissioned them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men and come after me and you will be my disciples, that term disciple, they understood what that meant because it was a, it was something that was used in that culture. The best English term that I think we can use to describe what biblical first century discipleship was, is the term apprentice. When you think of an apprentice, it's one who learns up under a master, is trained by a master, and then they begin to mimic or resemble the master. Now, that's kind of the, the, the basic idea of what that term was in the first century. However, when you look at scripture, and in my book, I take us through several passages. There's many more, and I even talk about in the book, I, I can't look at all the, the passages on discipleship, but I looked at six specific passages. And when you look at those passages, there's some traits or characteristics that should be the case in all disciples of Christ. And so to give you my definition, and there's, there's several definitions out there, but when I look at a biblical disciple, in the pages of scripture, a disciple then is a born again believer who desires to learn what the Bible teaches, seeks to obey God's instruction, is committed to following Christ's example, and then teaches those truths to others. So there's some key parts to that. You have one who is born again, okay, one who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a defining characteristic must be there right from the outset. But then it goes a step further. They need to be in the word. They need to be obeying the instruction, committed to following Christ's example, and then reproducing themselves in a, another person's life. That's what I would say is a biblical disciple from what we see in scripture. Now, the word discipleship is that process. What, how do we make somebody a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ. And so if I was to define discipleship, it would be the process of learning and teachings of scripture, internalizing them to shape one's belief, and then acting upon them in one's daily life. So it's learning the scriptures, internalizing them for myself. What does this look like for my life? And then does it change the way that I'm living out? And so as we look at the idea of discipleship. A disciple was one who followed Christ, but there were a few more steps to it. They were committed to him. They followed him. They obeyed what he said, and they reproduced themselves in the lives of another. And I think that's the trend of what a Christ follower, a disciple should be. 
That's really helpful because there are so many different views out there and, and misconceptions, as you mentioned earlier, about what discipleship is or isn't. And what you've really boiled it down to there is, is, is teaching and learning between the discipler and the disciple and modeling and following. And, and I think that really does come under that, that idea, that the modern idea that we have of apprenticeship. You're learning that the truth of what's being taught, and now you're applying it to your daily life. And, and that's what Christ modeled for us. That's what we're called to do in the local church context today as, as modern-day followers of Christ. Now, Dr. Burgraff, on that note, there are a lot of different terms out there, biblical terms, useful terms, uh, terms like equipping, Ephesians 4, or, or teaching and training, like we see modeled for men and women respectively in Titus chapter 2. How do we think of, or how ought we think biblically about discipleship and how it relates to those other similar terms, like equipping, like teaching, like training? Very good question, Jesse. I would actually, uh, you you hit the nail on the head when you said similar terms. Interestingly, when you look at the New Testament, the word disciple stops after Acts 21. Acts 21 is the last time we see the word disciple ever used. And so I've often been challenged by people, where did the word go? <laughs> you know, did, are we, are we even supposed to do this anymore? Have, have we walked away from this? Well, I, I don't think any of us would say that the Great Commission is just stopped. I mean, that's what, what Christ has called us to do, to make disciples. But the concept here is this, and, and I, I'm kind of circling around to answer your question, Jesse, because after Acts 21, there's other terms that kind of replace disciple, but talk about what that's going to look like in the life of the church, okay? That term disciple was really tied to a Greek and a Jewish audience. Now, as the Bible begins to go out to the world and our duty as members of a congregation or our obligations to fellow Christians and so forth, there's going to be other terms in Paul's writings and others of what that looks like. And so terms like believer, terms like Christian in 1 Peter 4, 16, the, the concept of maturity or the mature believer, Ephesians 4, the idea of a saint, one who's set apart or holy. Those terms begin to replace that concept of a disciple. It's not that we walked away from that. It's that other words begin to picture what's taking place as disciples. So coming back to your question, terms like teaching, equipping, those became terms that became synonymous with discipleship as we train up believers, as we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So a lot of those verbs tie to those new nouns that we describe a believer, a disciple, a follower of Christ, a mature Christian. That term begins to dictate what verb is used. So I would say they're almost interchangeable in a lot of ways, teaching, equipping. Those terms describe that discipleship process and really highlight what that looks like on a regular basis. So it's a great question. I think those terms are very similar and synonymous to what Jesus is calling us to in discipleship. Amen. Yeah, good answer. Dr. Burgraff, you've written another book about discipleship called Discipleship in the Early Church. What are some key lessons about discipleship, whether positive or negative, that you've learned in your study of church history? That's a very good question. So let me talk a little bit about my first book. So this is kind of a plug for the second book, but slash 
kind of gives you the impetus behind the first book. So, so buy both, listeners. Plug them both. Get both. <laughs> Plug them both. <laughs> actually, it was funny. I, I actually saw that there was a blip in the sales of my first book because the second one coming out, which is always a good thing. But the second book is much more practical, if I can say it that way. It's written for leaders, for mentors, for pastors, but it's also meant to be readable for church members as well. Okay, so the focus is on the church, but there's also sections in the book where I deal with the home, what discipleship looks like in our homes, what should it look like in our personal lives, how to do this in the church. And so the first book that I wrote, Discipleship in the Early Church, came really out of my dissertation where I was asking myself the question, when you look at the early church and the growth that you see in the early church and the post-apostolic church, what were they doing? How were they training believers that saw this just explode? And so that was what drew me to that topic initially. And so my first book looked at, it comes out of my dissertation where I looked at uh, the church time period from 150 AD to about 450 AD. What was going on in the Christian church at that time? How did they train believers during that period? And so if you read the first book, it is, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is where I say maybe I'd knock it a little bit. It's pretty technical, okay? And it was meant because it came out of my dissertation. Now that'll that'll challenge some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some, pretty some challenging, like that, pretty that beefy. Challenge. So there's a lot of deep research that was done looking into the anti-Nicene fathers, works by Cyril of Jerusalem, Athanasius, others, what was all going on in that culture. Okay, so the first book really looked at ancient discipleship. However, I tried to make it somewhat readable or more readable uh, and make kind of some, you know, universal principles for all of us. And so to answer your question, Aaron, what kind of came out of that was when you look at the early church, there was a couple key steps or key features from that culture and from those believers themselves. There was a deep level of commitment. Many of the believers that were saved would join in this discipleship process. Many of them would become martyrs, would give their lives for Christ. And so the, the early church, when they would do their discipleship training, their what we would call new believer classes, they actually lasted between two and three years of intense training before the individual could join the church. Well, you're not going to go through that unless you're really committed to the church. If you're not, if you're really committed to growing and to, into really being a part of that body, I think we can learn from that. Now, I'm not saying we do a two to three year new member class. However, there is a challenge for us. They took it very seriously. The other thing that jumps out from that time was uh, a lot of the language of the training of that time had militaristic language. And so they considered themselves soldiers in Christ's army, and Christ was their commander in chief. And so they would quote, actually, when they got baptized and joined the church, they would quote the Apostles' Creed. And it was almost like their solemn oath of this is how I'm going to live now, and this is the commitment I'm going to have to Jesus Christ. The other thing that tr- comes through there, so there was there was deep commitment, a real passion for understanding that this was militaristic. I'm really in the Lord's army. I've got to fight the enemy. 
the mentor practices were amazing. I often get asked the question, was it much more about content or mentorship? And the answer is yes. Okay. They did two to three years of teaching, but the level of mentorship was unbelievable. The mentors actually had to attest that they saw significant growth in the individual before they could even join the church. And I, what a challenge to us today. I mean, so often our churches, we say hi to each other on Sunday, and that's about it. I mean, these people knew the intricacies of ministry, of how they were involved. And so the mentor practices are amazing. Our English terms Godmother and Godfather actually were coined from that period. So the spiritual mentor was actually your Godfather or your Godmother that would mentor you in the process. So there was a lot of takeaways that uh, I think we uh, should look into. There's a couple things that obviously they would do just culturally and so forth. Uh, we probably wouldn't put into practice today. That's okay. But in the end of my book, I actually brought out four recommendations for us to think through as church leaders as we look at that early period. First is that church leaders must recognize the current state of discipleship today. When you look at where we're at as a church compared to the early church and how committed they were, there's often a drastic difference. So we really got to look at how we are truly committed as disciples of Christ. Uh, a second recommendation I had was that church leaders must develop systematic and intentional discipleship curriculum and programs. It's It's got to be done. So oftentimes people think of discipleship as just a side or, or they're just going to get it. We have got to create systematic and intentional programs to lead our people forward, to train them in, in the truths of Scripture. Third, church leaders must develop discipleship procedures that produce comprehensive change. It, it's not just about terms here and there. We need to see the lives of our people altered to be like resemblers of Jesus Christ. We call ourselves Christians. That means I live Christ-like. If I went to your neighborhood and I said, tell me the house of where the Christian lives on this block, would they point at your house? If I went to your work and I said, where is the Christian that works here? Would they point to you? Do you live so differently that people go, there's just something different about that person? Maybe a little weird, maybe a little odd. I embrace that. But there's something different about him. He acts different. He talks different. That's a Christian, a Christ follower, a, a one who mimics, who looks like the Savior. And so in our programs that we create at church, it's not just about head knowledge. It's not just about getting a lot of facts, though those are important because you have to have that. But you have to then internalize those truths so that it changes life. That's the difference between in, in the Bible, it talks about knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is having the facts. Sadly, in a lot of our churches, we don't even have people to have the knowledge. But wisdom is taking that knowledge and appropriating it, applying it to life so that it changes the way I live today and tomorrow. So it must start with, I've got to have the information because I got to know how to live, but then I need it to transform the way I live today and tomorrow. That's what we're called to do in discipleship. And then my last recommendation is church leaders must emphasize mentorship in our churches today. 
we're we're just not involved in each other's lives. We're just not training each other up like we are called to do. Second Timothy two two those things that have been entrusted to you, Timothy, teach them to faithful men who will teach others also. Entrust them, impart to them. It's the idea of handing a baton. You hand the baton to somebody who's faithful, who's going to take that baton and then pass it on to somebody else and pass it on to somebody else. And that has to be what's happening in our churches, or we're one generation away from making a difference for Christ. Dr. Burgraff, there is so much meat to chew on with what you just said there. I mean, there's such clarity and conviction with the words you just said uh, on so many fronts. I'm going to do my best to sort of hit some of the highlights there as I ask this final question. You know, on the one hand, you have churches uh, that have uh, abandoned their responsibilities to make disciples. Maybe it's because they're more interested in growth or programs, or they outsource discipleship to parachurch ministries. On the other hand, you have the individual believers who might think, like you alluded to earlier, you know, I just show up at church, I get my 35-minute sermon. Here, by the way, it's 55, but that doesn't make a difference for the major point you're making. Um, but, but the point being, I just show up on Sunday, grab my donut, say hello, go home, and I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a healthy Christian. And you're bringing so much conviction and correction to that way of thinking. So outside of what you've already identified or the, the, the points you've already made, and you've landed those points really well. What does biblical discipleship look like practically at the local church level today? What ought it look like as followers of Christ, as members of churches? How do we go about making disciples? That's uh, really, that's the heart of, of the book of what I'm challenging us to do, Jesse. It's a very good question because all of this in theory is great, but if it's not practical and we're uh, putting it into practice tomorrow, then What's the point? When I was a, a senior pastor and preached, I would often say when I came to application, so what? Okay, so what do I do with all of this? Okay, I got all this knowledge from the scripture. So what does this look like tomorrow? What does this look like today? And so let me start with kind of an overall statement, and then I'll get into some specifics. Where I would start is this. We as churches must get back to putting a high priority on the study and application meditation on God's word. It has to happen there. That's where it's got to start. Okay. So one of the features of my book I talk about, it's a key feature in discipleship is we have got to elevate God's word again to the priority of what it is. It has to be our standard of faith and practice and, and not just in theory and not just in word, but in practice. How often are you in God's word? How often are you personally studying it? How often as pastors are we preaching it? Jesse, I know you, you know me. When we preach, we start, we start and we tie our message to God's word. There's so many pastors that are not just being honest with you. They're up there telling stories the whole time, cracking jokes. They're off on everything else under the sun. Get back to the word. That's, that's where it's got to start. It has to start with the word. Okay. But then in practice, so that's, that's my overall challenge for the church. So oftentimes, like in a, a small group or a mentorship group, we'll talk about sports. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about our favorite sports team losing, which is a sensitive subject to me tonight because 
My Philadelphia Eagles got pounded <laughs> yesterday. So the bottom line is we talk about all these other things, and then the actual study of God's word is like five minutes in there. Okay. That's not discipleship. Okay. It has to be rooted in the word. So I think that's the overall main statement I'd wait. Now, getting into practice of what this looks like. I see that there's in the church, there's four main avenues. Okay. And it comes out of Jesus's ministry. Okay. There's four main avenues for the church. I go into this all in the book, but the first would be the preaching ministry. The second would be the teaching ministry, and I'll explain all these in a moment. The third would be small groups, and then lastly is mentorship, okay? So if I can say it this way, each church is going to be able to do as many of these depending on the quality of the leadership they have, the size they are, so forth, okay? That's going to dictate a little of this. I've pastored everything from churches of 30, 35 people up to 400 people. And there's certain things you can do in certain churches. You just can't do them in certain other ones. The ideal goal would be to do all of these. Okay. But if you can't do all of them, do as many of them. All right. I've often heard it said, and I'm kind of circling the wagons just, I'll get to your question, but I think it's important to highlight some of these things. I've often heard it said in churches, our church doesn't disciple people. And what they're talking about is a part of discipleship. Okay. When I teach my classes in seminary, the concept of discipleship is more of an umbrella term. Okay. It's kind of a blanket term. Underneath that term is spokes or ribs or supports. Okay. Now, not every church can do all the supports, but when Jesse opens God's word, when you think of discipleship is learning from scripture, internalizing it so it changes the way I live. That's done through the preaching ministry. Okay. As you open God's word and challenge the heart, there's a level of discipleship that happens at that level. Now, granted, it's not the most personal. Okay. Because we got appropriate right to my life, but there's certain things Jesse can cover in discipleship on a broad scale from the pulpit. So the pulpit ministry is the first avenue. Then you have your teaching ministry. That's titled ABFs or Sunday school or depending on college ministry, teen ministry, where you're in God's Word studying it together, usually in a classroom setting. So when you go back to the pulpit ministry, exemplified in Christ's ministry, you had Jesus and the crowds. There were many messages Jesus preached to the crowds, to the audience, to the broader disciples. In the teaching ministry, there's a lot of times Jesus would teach the 70 or the 72, okay? And and he taught a more specific group, and there was a different level, a deeper level of teaching. There was a deeper level of even service. And so some of our ABF, some of our uh, Sunday schools are, you know, ministry teams, but that's another level of discipleship in a church. A third avenue for a church is small groups. Okay. Now there's some caveats there with small groups. They, they can be very effective. Sometimes they can get off the rails as well. So there's got to be some governances played on there, but small groups is a critical part of discipleship in that I can get more personal. I can, I can talk to couples. Couples can bounce things off of each other, or a group of four or five of us can talk through things on a level that I can't talk at the preaching ministry. 
Does it make sense? Like, Jesse can't come down on the second row and say, hey, what does this look like tomorrow at your workplace? Okay. You might be able to, but that's probably going to offend a few people. All right. <laughs> so when you get to that small group, it becomes more personal. So a, a healthy church obviously is a strong preaching ministry. A second avenue is a strong teaching ministry. Third avenue is this idea of a small group. You see that exemplified with Jesus when he's talking to the 12. And then you have this final avenue where you get real personal, and that's mentorship. That's one-on-one or one-on-two, one-on-three. Once you get above three or four, now you move into small groups, but this could be one with two. I would put, you know, a lot of people go, where do you put counseling, you know, marital counseling? Right here, okay? Marital counseling is specific or advanced discipleship, where I just had targeted on specific issues in their marriage or in their home. And so mentorship is that one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three kind of a relationship where now we can get real personal. What does scripture look like here? What sins are we struggling with? How does I, you know, I'm struggling with this issue and we set accountability and so forth. And you see that exemplified with Jesus with the three, uh, where you have his inner circle. And so you see all four exemplified in Christ's ministry. I think a healthy church will do as many of those as they can. Okay. Again, I can't, I, this isn't a blanket. Every single church you do all four. It depends on where you're at. If you don't have folks that can lead small groups and folks that can do one-on-one mentoring, maybe it's the first two right off the bat. But in a larger church setting, a healthy church will have a strong preaching ministry, have consistent multi-tiered teaching ministry, will have small groups that are taking place on a regular basis, and will have one-on-one mentoring, counseling, challenging, so that a believer is growing in all areas of the walk. So in a church setting, those are my challenges coming out of putting the authority of scripture at the highest point. We've got to be studying the Bible in all of these settings. Thank you, Dr. Burgraff. That's so helpful in modeling biblical discipleship based off of Jesus and his ministry. Um, I can personally attest to all four of those categories of discipleship in my own life, from preaching to the one-on-one discipleship. Um, Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for writing on this topic and publishing a book. Uh, Listeners, we encourage you to share this post for this podcast, and if you do, we'll offer you a free copy of the book, as many as we have available. And uh, Pastor Jesse, do you have a last word for us today? I have two. One would be to go get this book. So if you're not one of those that share and get a free copy of the book, go get the book. I I had the chance to read it, an advanced copy. I had a chance to endorse it. I wouldn't endorse it if I didn't agree with everything in it. It's it's an excellent book, an excellent resource. Uh, Dr. Burgraff has done a, a great thing for the church. He's really blessed the church with this book. And even that last piece of it, the four-tiered model of of discipleship is in the book, and it's just a helpful example, all anchored in the the example of Christ as he just articulated. So I would encourage our audience, our listeners, to get a copy of it, go through it, and and be encouraged by it, but also challenged by it. Be prepared for that. Uh, So Dr. Burgraff, thank you for your labors in in the study to write the book, and we'll keep praying that it's a, a major blessing to the church. The last word, as always, goes to God in his word from 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening.